Welcome to the Hannah Miller Show. And here she is, Hannah Miller. Outspokenly conservative and unashamedly Christian, this is Hannah Miller, and this is what happened this week. So a bit of a different style show this week. I'm actually going to do three hot takes. We're going to do a political one. We're going to do kind of a cultural parenting one. And the third one is more of a Christian counseling, Christian discipleship, Christian life hot take. Okay, and these are all the uh, these are all things that happened this week or came up in life this week that are relevant to just the world around us. So, let's just dive right in. First thing, political hot take. Nikki Haley, y'all, <laughs> I have you know, I just got a lot of pleasure out of this happening this week with Nikki Haley. In Nevada. So she went, and if you, a little background, Nevada for the first time had a primary this year. They typically have a caucus and they let the people basically decide, do you want a primary? Do you want a, do you want a caucus? And the people, uh, GOP, basically said, hey, we want to, we want to continue with the caucus. And so Trump will be on the ballot there with the caucus, but Nikki Haley decided she still wanted to go through with a primary, and I'm not really sure how they're going to work it all out as far as the primary versus the caucus versus all of that, but my understanding is that she, the words that I heard were she didn't listen to the people and went ahead with a primary, and so she came out of that, and it was Nikki Haley had 30 point something percent of the vote. And 60 point something percent of the votes went to none of these candidates. So Nikki Haley literally lost to nobody, which I don't even really know how that's possible. But she's so wildly unpopular that there were literally thousands and thousands of people who showed up at the primary knowing they were going to have a caucus just to vote no on Nikki <laughs> Haley and say, I don't want this woman. And and it was just astounding. And I'm sure that the political motivation there for Nikki Haley was that she was thinking without Donald Trump on the ballot that she would sweep the primary, she would be able to win, she would get a majority, and then she'd be able to kind of ride off on that political energy and no one, you know, nobody outside of Nevada would really, would realize that she was not she was the only one on the ballot and that she was not up against Donald Trump on that primary ballot and so she was thinking that she'd be able to just tout her numbers that she got a majority vote whatever and uh came out ahead of Donald Trump and it it's the reality is is that that just kind of turned around and bit her in the backside. That's what I'm guessing. I, you know, I really have, I don't know what the inner workings of their campaign was, her campaign and what their thinking was on doing it this way. Um, but it just, again, shows that Nikki Haley is not in touch with what people want. And, you know, I don't, I think there's a lot of people out there who love Donald Trump. They're going to hit the button for Donald Trump no matter what. But there were people who were looking for other options. And despite that, Nikki Haley is proving she's just not listening to those folks and what they want. Uh, there's a, there's a contingency out there that are that do like her that are folks who are you know rhinos. Uh, just I guess that, that's really the only word I have for them. Um, and and they'll vote for her. But you know I think there were people who were looking for an alternative outside of Donald Trump. They had some serious grievances with his last presidency, and. Uh, 
she just she's not it. And so anyway, so that's what happened with in Nevada. If you heard about that, that's a little bit of an update and kind of a just how I understand what happened there and why it did. And the caucus is supposed to still happen. Donald Trump, uh, it will, will show up, will be on the name on the ballots there. And, uh, it'll be very interesting to see how things kind of move forward in Nevada. And I don't, like I said, I don't know all the inner workings of how they're going to work all that out. I, I thought they would just have a primary or a caucus. Uh, but it seems like they're having both, or maybe they're just doing the primary and all the folks are like, you know, when it comes down to the general, we're all, you know, it, it. All of our delegates will just go to Trump or just whatever. I don't. I'm not sure. But anyway, this wasn't a good look for Nikki Haley. That's my main point. And uh, I don't know how they thought it was going to be a good look for her. But uh, anyway, so that's what happened in Nevada this week. So moving on, the other thing I wanted to talk about is just is more of a cultural parenting social thing, and this has to do with. The last two weeks here in South Carolina have been gorgeous. Weather's been 65 degrees. My kids and I have spent the majority of our time outside. And something that the Lord's really been kind of working on me about this year and here and, and recently, I mean, I think it's one of those things that you, know, you just kind of always have to do a little bit of a check-in on spiritually. And, and, and that is you know, my phone usage when my kids are around and wanting to really be a present parent. Because the reality is, and, and if you've done any kind of keeping up with technology and the impact of technology on our culture, you know that there's a way to be physically present, but not mentally or emotionally with the technology that we have today. And you could be listening to a podcast. You could be listening to this podcast right now and totally ignoring your family or what's going on around you. Or you can be doom scrolling on social media and totally ignoring your children or what's going on around you. And, you know, so all of these things are possible. Or you get sucked into an email and you know what? That email, it could work till tomorrow. But it popped up on your phone while you were at the dinner table and suddenly you find yourself sucked in responding to it when you should have just waited until either after dinner or the next work day. And so we all, you know, that's something that we're all kind of aware happens. But I think it's beneficial for all of us to just periodically do a little bit of a check and a reset and say to ourselves, okay, how much am I using this device? Because I'm not anti-technology. They're a tool. And they're, they're a powerful tool. And this is what I say all the time in my speeches that I give about technology to parents. You know, this is a powerful tool and it can be used for good and, or it can be used for bad depending on whose hands it's in and depending on the maturity of the person holding it. Because, you know, my kid holding my phone maybe didn't set out to do something bad but sometimes bad things can happen because of how powerful that tool is and what's on that tool. And so we as parents and, and, and as adults, we have to be very careful, though, even on how we utilize that because even we get sucked into the abuse of it in one way or another. And, you know, an example that I was reading about here recently was a dad who went to, he was taking his daughter to gymnastics. And, you know, he said, I always have a charger with me. I always have a cable to be able to do so. But for some reason, he didn't have one that day. And his charging charger, his phone died. So he went into her gymnastics practice and 
he was standing there. He said, I was leaning up against the wall with all these other parents and, and, and my daughter, and I was watching my daughter and enjoying just, you know, seeing her do her thing. And at one point she looked over at her dad and they made eye contact after she had kind of done some new, you know, gymnastic exercise or, or something of that nature. And their eye, they made eye contact together and he said she just lit up and he gave her a thumbs up and, and he just, you know, and she just lit up and the whole rest of the, of, of her practice in the gym, she was just beaming. And he said he noticed something though, that all the other parents, you know, five, six, seven, eight of them lined up against the wall with him, all mostly just looking at their phones. And he said, he noticed that the other children would periodically glance over at the wall to see the other parents and they would be, you know, looking at their phone, totally engaged with that device and miss the opportunity to make that connection with their child. And this isn't something new. To all of us, you know, like I said, if you've been paying attention to the impact of technology on our culture, you've heard these stories before. You've heard this point before. And so I just wanted to take a moment, though, this week to remind all of us that sometimes we kind of slowly get sucked back into utilizing our technology maybe a bit too much. And for me, I think I had I had done that, you know, after I got done doing the radio show, which was an everyday thing. So I was really on my devices and reading things a lot during that season of my life. And so when I got done doing the radio show every day, I took a big step back from all of that and was able to kind of make some readjustments. Well, here recently, I just knew that a lot of my responsibilities had piled on. I have a lot of other hats that I wear outside of doing this podcast and being a mom. And I knew that, you know what, I I need to kind of take a step back from those things and just take a breather. And so the last two weeks, I've barely picked my phone up. I, you know, I don't do a lot of doom scrolling as it is, but, you know, just not engaging uh, with my with technology as much as I have been just sitting in the sun and enjoying holding my baby and watching my other children swing on the swing set or jump on the trampoline or ride the zip line or do whatever it is and just being present and here's the point even if you don't have children uh, or you maybe you're just a young adult maybe you don't have children in your life maybe you're uh, maybe you're a grandparent maybe you're whatever it's something that I think of as being a social etiquette that we all need to kind of work on. And that's this, you know, looking at our devices when we're around other folks that we should just be engaging with them. Now, I'm not a parent who believes that I need to be on call to my child all the time. I am not their personal entertainer and I am not at their beck and call. I don't believe those things. I have a life to live. I've got things I've got to do and responsibilities I have to take care of outside of my child and their needs. But at the same time, if we were, if I was intentionally spending time with my child, supposed to be spending time with them, and I was constantly allowing my, and I'm constantly allowing my phone to interrupt me, that is rude. And it's an example that I don't want my child to follow. Because when they're, you know, when they're a teenager and they're hanging out with friends or my parents, they're hanging out with their grandparents, (laughs) 
I don't want them to allow their devices to constantly distract them and pull them away from spending time with other people, from engaging in a social setting. It's poor social skills, and it doesn't help them to develop into more socially rounded individuals because they just get sucked into their device. And so anyway, that's just something, you know, just trying to, as a parent, be careful of the example that I'm setting to my children on how we use our devices. It's a tool and it can be a good tool, but it depends on how we use it. All right. Last thing. So this is something that kind of came up this week in discussion with somebody and I, I want to be careful and respectful of everybody involved. So I'm going to actually give a um, a hypothetical story to set this thing up so that it's not confusing and that we can all kind of follow along. But I'm not going to use anybody's real names and I'm not going to use the actual situation that happened. This is the exact same type of situation, but... different so that I'm respecting people's privacy. All right. So I had somebody approach me this week and we were having a conversation and they were kind of torn up about something that had happened. And let's just say that this friend's name was Sarah and Sarah knew somebody that had engaged in a particularly despicable sin. And let's just say it was the practice of same sex. It was a same sex interaction. And this person had been very conflicted about it for a while, but decided to engage in said activity. And when they did, they immediately felt terrible about it, but it didn't change the fact that they have done it. And so What ended up happening, though, for my friend Sarah was that this this person, this acquaintance that she had, was confronted by somebody who was, in a way, very harsh, called a spade a spade and confronted the friend on the sin and said, what you've done is a despicable sin and it is against the word of God all true. But then what ended up happening was there was another group of folks that were kind of a part of this story that were very offended that somebody had confronted this individual with their sin. And their response was, you know, we just need to, we can't confront them like that. We can't speak so strongly about their sin. Yes, it's a sin, but we can't speak so strongly about it. We just need to love them. And we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we need to show them that he is, that he is a forgiving Savior. And this person, my friend Sarah, was conflicted because she was caught between two groups of people who were both right, but not fully right. (laughs) And she didn't, you know, on the one hand, she said, no, 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 that's not the way you do this, but no, 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 that's, that's not the way you do this either. And so she was kind of caught in this middle ground and trying to navigate You know, on the one hand, it seemed like this person was just so harsh. 
But then the other side, she said, but it was, it was too weak. And so she was trying to navigate this. And so as a person who, look, I, I'm a biblical counselor, but Yes, that's true. But the reality is you might be sitting there thinking, oh, why is this relevant to me? I'm not a biblical counselor. Look, one of the first books that we read in biblical counseling is a book by Jay Adams called Competent to Counsel. And it and it in the bottom line of that entire book, I'm just gonna give it to you right here. Here's the cheat sheet, is that because you have the word of God, you are competent to counsel. And as a believer, you are called to counsel because do you know what biblical counseling really is when you get down to the bare bones of it? It's discipleship. And that is a part of the Great Commission. And so when we're looking at this situation that confronted Sarah, where she had somebody who committed a terrible sin and was broken over it, she, we're all going to confront those kinds of situations, and we all need to know how do we approach it. And you see what's happening, though, is a cultural thing, to a generational, generational, that's a better word to, t- to say, to use, a generational approach. Because you see, I'm a millennial, and this person, Sarah, is roughly about my same age as well, and she's coming out of a generation, and she and, she and my my generation, millennials, a lot of the adults and a lot of the culture when we were growing up was, in in the church, was just love them to Jesus. Just love them to Jesus. And, you know, Jesus was our homeboy. You know, you know it, that this concept of God that is true. He is a good, loving, kind father. But we kind of stripped him of his holiness at the same time. And so my generation tended to do what I call ditch diving. And that's going from one extreme to the other extreme. And so what did we, what did we do? We reacted to that generation just being love, 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 and having this soft Christianity. And I think sometimes our Christianity and our gospel message is too harsh. And we present the holiness and the judgment of God. And it's not necessarily that that is too harsh, because the reality is, is I don't think we fully understand uh, the to use Jonathan Edwards' words, uh, to be sinners in the hands of an angry God. (laughs) Because God is holy and cannot, the holiness of God cannot be in the presence of our sin, even, even just the teeny tiniest little lie that we tell. And so how do you approach these situations? My caution to you is not to be a ditch diver. When we're seeing these situations, don't react. It is is never a good idea to just react. (laughs) We want to equip ourselves that when we come upon these situations, we're going to respond with biblical accuracy and Christ-like character. 
And that would be to present the full gospel of Jesus Christ, the whole counsel of God's word. And what is the whole counsel of God's word? Very simple. The truth in love. Because you see, neither side of this issue was necessarily wrong. They were just not full. It was not the whole message. And we've had a generation, generations that go from one extreme to the other, where it's just all love, 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 and then the other is just this, this harsh judgment. And I want to caution us not to do that. We need to find and we need to marry those things. Because look, you have to call a spade a spade. If there is anybody anybody who knows me knows that that is who I am, I'm not going to sugarcoat things for you. I am going to call your sin out. Because look, people don't know that they need a savior if they do not know that they are a sinner. That needs saving from their sin. And so... We have to do that. We have to call sin out. We have to call a spade a spade. That is true. But at the same time, we also have to remind folks that there is a Savior from their sin, and He is good, and He is kind, and He is loving, and He will reach into the miry pit and pluck them out. He will do that. He can do that. He has done that. And so I just want to remind all of us to present the full gospel message, the whole counsel of the word of God when we have these interactions and not to be like either party in this situation with my friend Sarah, because this young person needed to be told, look, you're, what you've done is wrong, it's despicable, it's sin, it's depraved, and it's against the word of God. You need a savior from that. But you can't leave them there. You have to come in and say, you have to tell them there is a savior. What you did was wrong, but there is a savior from that from that despicable behavior. You can be forgiven from that. Look, if you if all you do is is say that there's a good and loving God and you never confront people's sin, then they'll never realize that they need a savior. <laughs> but if all you do is confront the sin, they'll never know that there is a savior. And so both of those things need to be married together. Whenever we confront people, and it's one of the things that we do, it's, it's called, in, in counseling, we say that the first, the first session that you have with counselees, it needs to be hope-giving. And so we have to do both of these things as counselors, as Christians, as disciple-makers. We need to confront the sin, but we also need to give the hope that is in Jesus Christ. All right. Thanks for hanging out with me for Hannah's Hot Takes this week. Hope you have a good one. Talk to you next time. 
Thank you for listening to The Hannah Miller Show. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions. If you'd like to find out more about Hannah or to schedule her for a speaking event, go to her website, thehannamillershow.com. Thank you.